step-by-step instructions. I enjoy those most of the time and recently just bought a, a treadmill and I didn't want to pay the 90 bucks that Amazon was going to charge to have one of their guys come out and set it up. So I decided, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll do it myself. So they bring the giant box in, they drop it off, and sure enough, you open it up, and right on top there, there's the step-by-step instructions. So I pulled those out, and I start going through the assembly of this thing. Well, after a while, I get into a groove, and I, I kind of see where they're going with things, and, and the step-by-step instructions, I'm not really paying attention to as closely as I was at the beginning. And, and what I eventually find is I find that I'm out in front of the step-by-step instructions a little bit, and I'm feeling pretty confident, pretty, pretty good about myself until I finally get to the point where I'm thinking, you know what, maybe I should just go back through the step-by-step instructions. Maybe I should just make sure that they got it right <laughs> and that I'm tracking with them. And so I went back, and sure enough, as you guys probably can already guess where this is going, I missed a pretty crucial step that was going to be, um, oh, important to the treadmill running. Um, so I, I had to, to, to work backwards take apart everything that I had done until I got back to that step, do that step, and then I was able to continue building. Any of you guys ever get out in front of the the directions like that and end up making a mistake that way? Yeah, last night I asked that question and had a bunch of, oh, yeah, yeah, and then I asked the follow-up question, how many of you, if your wives were here, would admit to that? And I had far fewer men uh, acknowledge that, that they would admit that in front of their wives. But step-by-step instructions are only as good as, as our willingness to actually follow them. When we get out in front of the directions, the directions really lose any sort of help or or benefit that they may have provided for us. And a lot of times it's overconfidence that can lead us to get out in front of the directions. We can, like I did, say, well, I know what this is doing. I know what the point is, and so I'll just keep going. But sometimes anxiety can have the same effect in our lives. When we find ourselves in a difficult situation, when we find ourselves hard-pressed, we sometimes jump ship from what we know we're supposed to do in search of some change, some sort of relief from the trying circumstances that we find ourselves in. And oftentimes, this can have pretty disastrous results for us. In our text this morning, that's exactly the case for King Saul. He was in a tight spot, but he had clear instructions from the Lord given through Samuel as far as what he was supposed to do. But rather than following them step by step, Saul got out in front of God, and the results ended up not good. So the questions that we want to answer in our text this morning are this, what what do we do when we find ourselves hard-pressed? That's the word in in the Hebrew that is used in verse 6 of chapter 13. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed. What do we do when we find ourselves in those situations? When anxious thoughts begin to creep in and threaten to take over? How do we respond to these situations in life when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place? We're going to look to 1 Samuel 13 and 14 to hopefully find some answers to those questions this morning. So if you're not there already, uh, go ahead and make your way there. 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14. Again, a larger section, we won't cover it all verse by verse, but we'll kind of uh, cover it in, in chunks, so to speak. The, the chapter opens in chapter 13 with Jonathan winning a, a pretty decisive victory over a garrison of Philistines. And when we pick it up in, in verse 3, it says, Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And notice Saul's reaction here, and contrast it to the reaction that Saul had just last week when we were in chapter 11 and 12. 
Saul says, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines. Do you see the contrast there between Saul of chapter 11 and Saul of chapter 13? Saul of chapter 11, the people came to Saul and they said, Saul, you won this great battle. In fact, you won such a great battle, we need to find everybody who was opposed to your kingship. We're going to put them to death right now. And Saul's response was, no, no, no. I didn't win anything. The Lord worked this victory. Now we come to chapter 13 and Saul doesn't have anything to do with this. It's his son Jonathan who goes out and wins this victory. And yet Saul wants all the credit. And so he says, let all Israel hear that Saul has defeated the garrison of the Philistines. Well, the Philistines didn't really take too kindly to this, and so they mustered to fight with Israel, it says in, in chapter 13, verse 5. The Masoretic text, the, the, the original manuscripts of the Hebrew that we have, says 30,000 chariots gathered. There are some that think that number's too high, that, that go with another textual variant that says 3,000 chariots gathered. Regardless, thousands of chariots show up for battle. And thousands of charioteers, 6,000 horsemen show up. And troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. In other words, Saul probably had sent out their scouts and their scouts come back and they say, Saul, we couldn't even count the number of troops that they had in this army. And that's when we come to verse six when it says, when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble for the people were hard pressed, they hid themselves in caves in holes, in rocks, in tombs, and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul saw the massive response from the Philistines, and he found himself in a a tight spot. He found himself between a rock and a hard place. He found himself hard-pressed. And rather than following the clear instructions from the Lord, Saul set them aside. If you'll remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8, Right after Samuel had anointed Saul privately, he said to Saul, he said this, go down before me to Gilgal. That's where we find them in chapter 13. And behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And so Samuel gives Saul clear-cut instructions. Saul, wait seven days. But more specifically, Saul, wait until I come to you. And when I come to you, I will offer the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. But instead of waiting for him, Saul, out of prideful anxiety, decided he would make the offerings himself. He set aside the instructions of the Lord. He realized he was in a difficult situation and thought that God's plan wasn't good enough. And so he needed to get out in front of God, so to speak. When we're hard-pressed, when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, we can't forget our dependence on the Lord's instructions, the Lord's plan for us. You can write down point number one this morning this way. Don't let anxious pride put you out in front of God. Don't let anxious pride put you out in front of God. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but anxiety and pride can be intensely related to one another. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and following. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is preaching, and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, verse 27, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? There it is. So often in our anxiety, we have the pride to be able to think that we can handle our circumstances on our own, that we know better about how to bring relief to our current circumstances than God's revealed plan for us. And so even though Jesus says, hey, what good is anxiety? Who of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? We may agree with that and kind of nod our heads right now in this place in in context, but when we're in the midst of of a trying time and an anxious time, We not only think we can add a a span of of hour to our change things in the course of a plan that a sovereign God has for our lives. Saul had clear-cut instructions. Saul, wait seven days until I come. But because of his difficulty, because of his circumstances, Saul set aside the instructions of the Lord. He got out in front of the Lord and he offered himself, offered the sacrifices himself. That text in Matthew chapter 6 ends in verse 33 this this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, when we become anxious, when we're in a difficult situation, when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, we often, like Saul, turn to ourselves and our thoughts and our focus becomes seeking our own welfare and our own good above and beyond anything else, including God's righteousness and his kingdom. But there's times in our lives where we have to remain patient in the face of opposition. Where we don't know what the outcome will be, where we don't know why God has us where he has us, but we know what he's called us to do in the meantime, and that's to obey his commands. You know, another illustration to hopefully shed some light on this is that of a lost hiker. What's the first rule if you're out hiking and you find yourself lost? Stay put. Stay where you are. Because the more you try to find your way back to the path, the chances are the more lost you're going to get yourself. And so the first rule if you're lost out on a trail is to stay put. Sometimes God has us in a midst of trying circumstances, hard pressed between a rock and a hard place, and the message for us is stay put. It's not your job to get yourself out of a, of, of a tight spot on your own. It's not your job to look to your own wisdom, your own cunning, to remove yourself from a, a time of, of trial. But that's exactly what Saul decided to do. Notice Saul's reaction when he was confronted on this. Samuel comes to him and he says, what did you do? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I've not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Notice Saul lists all of, of the worldly reasons why he was justified in making the decision he should have made. He said, people were deserting me. If you'll remember back up from verse 6 and 7, The people were hiding themselves when they saw the Philistine army in caves, in holes, in rocks, in tombs. How desperately terrified of somebody do you have to be to break open a tomb and and take cover in in the midst of of a grave? And in cisterns, 
So Saul's saying, my army was deserting. And then he says, you, Samuel, this is really your fault, Samuel. You didn't show up when you said you would show up, even though the seventh day hadn't been completed yet. And then he says, and, and beyond that, the Philistines, they, they were gathering and, and they could have attacked at any minute. And I knew I needed to seek the Lord's favor. So I, Samuel, I forced myself to, to disobey God's command for me in order to win God's favor. Can you think of a situation where we are ever biblically justified to compromise because of our circumstances? Now we can have the ethics conversations about the, the hiding the, the Jews during the time of, of concentration camps and everything else. Have those in your small groups. But I'm telling you, asking you, can you biblically show me a time wherein we are justified to compromise because we are in a trial or in a difficult time in our life? I can't. And so we can point at our circumstances all we want, but we are never given the green light to set aside direct clear biblical instructions because we are in a difficult, difficult time. Samuel's response was chilling. He departed Saul. And it's just a a small verse there in verse 15. Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. But in that departure, Samuel had removed God's voice, guidance, and direction from Saul. Samuel was God's prophet. And so Samuel, by leaving Saul, basically was abandoning him to his own wisdom, his own devices. Saul, you made your bed, now lay in it. Now before that, Samuel had laid out the consequences for Saul's behavior. He had said, Saul, God was going to establish your kingdom, now he's not going to establish your kingdom. In fact, Saul, he's rejecting your line, your lineage, and he's raising up another king for him And this king is going to be a king after his own heart. But did Saul repent? No. Why? Because his entire trust, his entire confidence was not in the Lord, but in himself. His own wisdom. He knew better. It's like if I had, after realizing my error with the treadmill, just continued to build it anyways and said, I will figure out a way to make it work even though it won't turn on. I'll hook it up to a bike and make my kid pedal it behind me. See, it's, it's that quote again that we, we touched on from chapter 8. Our proposals and solutions can be completely reasonable to us, clearly logical, obviously plausible, and yet utterly godless. If you look at Saul's reasoning, people are deserting. Samuel, I didn't know if you were going to show up. The Philistines could have attacked at any minute. We needed God's favor. From a worldly standpoint, all of that sounds good until we hold it up to the commands of God and we realize it's not good because it was disobedient. See, Saul's prideful self-reliance had made him impetuous and impatient and caused him to act rashly. Whatever trial you find yourself in, whatever situation where you feel like you are hard-pressed or between a rock and a hard place, the way out is always going to be on the path of obedience. Always. So we need to make sure that we don't let our prideful anxiety get us out in front of the Lord. Meanwhile, chapter 14, the, the focus shifts to Jonathan. Now think about Jonathan for a moment. He's facing the same army that Saul was facing, isn't he? 
And some of the Philistines are probably even more angry at Jonathan than they are at Saul because remember, Jonathan's the one that started all this, isn't he? And so Jonathan's up against the same odds. He's facing the same dilemma. He's just as hard-pressed as Saul was. But Jonathan's response is totally different. See, Jonathan ended up being calculated, patient, and thoughtful. He wasn't passive, but he acted in accordance with who he knew God to be and what God had directed. Pick up in verse 6 of of 1 Samuel chapter 14. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. See, Jonathan was willing to wait on the direction of the Lord before he acted. It's back to the illustration of being a lost hiker. It's, it's again, not a, a passive resignation. We don't just crawl into the fetal position and rock back and forth hoping that somebody's going to find us. No, if you're a lost hiker, you're still taking measures, even though you're not going to move around, you're going to stay where you are, you're still going to take measures to call out, to cry out, to, to try to get somebody to understand where you are. And so it's like calling out as a lost hiker and finally hearing somebody respond. What are you going to do when you hear that voice come from a particular direction? You're going to move that way, aren't you? You're going to move towards that voice, towards the rescue party that's coming. And so Jonathan, again, is not passive, but he makes this proposal and he says, let's take this proposal before the Lord and see if the Lord will deliver us for the Lord can save by many or by few. Jonathan was, was ready to abandon his plans if it appeared at all that the Lord wasn't with him. In verse eight, it says, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be a sign to us. See, Jonathan was gonna wait, but once he was certain that the Lord was with him, he was gonna move forward in complete confidence. Verse 12, and the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Man, this armor bearer does not get enough credit in this. He doesn't even get his name thrown into the text. But can you imagine this guy? I'm sorry, Jonathan, you want to do what? You want to go after another Garrett, just two of us? And by the way, these these hillsides that they were going to climb, one in, in Hebrew was named Thorny, one in Hebrew was named Slippery. So that's what they were facing. And think of the military strategy that they're laying out here. This is far from a surprise attack. Let us show ourselves to them. Hey, Philistines! Remember me? I'm the one that wiped out your other garrison. Wondering if we might come up and have a little chat. And then uh, after they say, yeah, come up to us, verse 13, then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. Can you imagine the response of the Philistines as they're looking down at these two Hebrews climbing up this thorny, craggy, slippery mountain. What are they doing? But then when they get to the top, it says in verse 13, they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. So Jonathan goes on a rampage at the top. I mean, this is Jack Bauer on steroids. He's going through, he's maiming them and then his armor bearer is putting them out of their misery behind him. 
And it says they killed 20 within about half an acre is what it works out to. Two Israelites killed 20 men. What gave them the confidence? See, when we're hard-pressed, when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, we can't forget that the safest place for us to be is following our sovereign God. Put another way, point number two this morning is this. Let humble faith keep you in step with God. Let humble faith keep you in step with God. Again, the correction to Saul's rashness is not passive resignation to trials and suffering. We aren't called to simply let life happen to us any more than I could have expected the treadmill to build itself. But we are called to only take action when we have considered our actions in light of God's revealed will for us. Look again at the last part of verse six. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. You know, I I said earlier, when we look at Saul's response, it makes sense from a worldly perspective. When we look at what Jonathan is doing, it makes no sense from a worldly perspective. And so what did Jonathan have going for him? Well, Jonathan had an informed faith. Remember, 1 Samuel is following after the period of what? Judges, rhymes with smudges, starts with a J. Judges, everybody on the same page? Okay. Anybody remember Shamgar? Shamgar? It's a good bedtime story for our kids, right? Killed 600 men by himself with an ox goad. How about Gideon? We remember the fleece and everything, but do we remember when he went out to fight the Midianites and God said, Gideon, there's, there's too many men. I don't need 20,000 men. And he ended up paring Gideon's army down to 300 men and still gave him victory over the Midianites. And then there's Samson, and we remember Samson for the long flowing hair and the Fabio-esque appearance, right? And, and we remember Delilah, and we remember him just being a fool with Delilah, and then we remember him knocking down the, the, the temple or the, the party palace and everything falling down, and he wiped out more people in his death than he did ever in his life. And we remember him tying the tails of the foxes together with the torches, which was really cool, um, But do we remember that time that he picked up a jawbone of a donkey and he killed a thousand men by himself with the jawbone of a donkey? Do you think Jonathan knew these stories? Do you think he had heard of these stories? Do you think he had had these things in mind as he's considering this and proposing this to his armor bearer going, look, if God's able to allow Samson to kill a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey, he can certainly let us scale this hill and take out these Philistines. And so Jonathan makes this proposal and he wants to make sure that he's with the Lord. But once he finds out that, yes, the Lord is with him, he moved forward in complete confidence, which is one of the great blessings of us knowing that we are walking with the Lord is we can walk confidently no matter what our circumstances look like around us. Jonathan acted daringly because he knew what Saul had forgotten from chapter 11, verse 13. He knew that the victory was not going to be his, was not going to be his armor bearers, but was going to belong to the Lord. When we find ourselves in the midst of a difficult place, when we find ourselves in the midst of of trials, we so often look for relief. We look to get ourselves out of this. It's uncomfortable to us, and we want to find comfort no matter the cost, and so We go to the drawing board and we try to figure it out, but we need to remember that it's not us who extricates ourselves from trials. It's God who leads us out of them. 
It's not up to us in our own wisdom, in our own inventions to get rid of, of hard times in our lives. It's up to us to be obedient to the Lord and to trust that he who led us into the trial will lead us out of the trial. And so as we consider Jonathan's reaction, as we consider our own reactions in the face of this, we have to to consider that as we so often look for this relief, we have to ask ourselves, are we walking in step with the Lord? A few questions to consider along that, to diagnose that. Number one, in pursuing this resolution, will I be sinning? Will I be sinning? Does following my current path directly contradict another command of the Lord? Here's an example. If you find yourself in massive debt, is it right to stop tithing? No. Now, you're, you're, what you're able to give at different times may, may fluctuate, may go up and down. But it's not right to say, well, let's take our tithe and throw it at our debt so that we can get out of debt. In pursuing that resolution, will I be sinning? How about number two? In pursuing this resolution, will I be missing out on something that the Lord may be trying to teach me? Sometimes it's, it's that the Lord leads us into a difficult time because he's, he's teaching us something. Is there something sanctifying about this trial? Am I despising the discipline of the Lord by trying to get, get out of this as quickly as I can? How about three? In pursuing this resolution, will it be evident to all that God is the one who has delivered? In other words, in pursuing these resolutions, can I say that I am still seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? If you can answer yes, then by all means, just like Jonathan and his armor bearer, charge full speed ahead. If not, lest you end up like Saul, go back to God's directions, God's commandments. Stay put and trust that God will eventually lead you out. Saul and Jonathan both found themselves between a rock and a hard place, and they each took different approaches to resolving the situation. Saul's decisions were driven by anxious pride that would ultimately cost him his kingdom and his dynasty. Jonathan's decisions were made by bold and humble faith in his God, who he knew to be able to come to the aid of his people, regardless of the circumstances that they found themselves in. The question at the beginning of our time was, what do you do when you're hard-pressed? When the pride of anxiety begins to creep in, do you get out ahead of God in an effort to resolve things yourself like like Saul did? Or do you still seek all the more to make sure that you are following step by step with the Lord the way that, that Jonathan did? Don't be a Saul. Don't be impatient and impetuous in the midst of of difficult times. Be like Jonathan. Be thoughtful and intentional to seek the Lord's wisdom and guidance for how best to proceed. Because again, the God who led you into the tight spot is most assuredly able to lead you out as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a text like this. We thank you for the great confidence that we can have that you are a God who is not bound by our earthly circumstances but can work 
in spite of the most dire situations that may face us. Lord, I'm mindful that I've got brothers in this room who are enduring very difficult times right now, and I do pray that you would bring them out of those times very quickly, Lord. I pray that uh, in the meantime, though, if you are having them there to teach them something, that they would be attentive to what you may be revealing to them, may be doing in their lives. Father, I pray that, that all of us, when we encounter trials, that we would be quick to look to you and, and to seek your will and to seek to be obedient and faithful to you above and beyond all else. Lord, I pray that all of us would be even mindful in our trials as we think about what's our ultimate good, that our ultimate good is not in experiencing less pain here. Our ultimate good is not in, Father, being set up financially here. It's, it's not in having perfect relationships here. It's, it's none of that. Lord, our ultimate good is the good that's coming to us when you return and call us to home to be with you in a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more disease, Lord. No more hard-pressed situations, no more rocks and hard places for us to get wedged into. Lord, that's our ultimate good. And so, Father, I pray that we would look forward to that time with great expectancy. But in the meantime, Lord, may we be faithful to walk in obedience to you step by step, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Lord, may we forsake our pride. Lord, never grab the reins from you and think that we can control it better than you, but may we be faithful to continue to remain where we are, where you have us, trusting that it's in just the right spot and to be faithful to obey you in the meantime. Father, we're thankful that you are a powerful and strong God, a God who can deliver by two or a God who can deliver by one, by many or by few. Father, we're thankful that our ultimate deliverance came by one, by Christ, as he went to the cross for us. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for this time together. Pray that you'd be with us as we break into small groups now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.